What's happening, everybody? Welcome into a brand new episode of Crossed Up. Anthony Sanfilippo's here. I'm Bob Wankel. Anthony, let's just get right to it. Uh, we had our, our first show of the 24 season or preseason or spring training, whatever you want to call it, earlier this week. We're back now, and it's kind of crazy. Like We went through this entire show, and we're talking about a variety of different subjects. And one of the things that we didn't really get to was Bryce Harper mm-hmm. and everything that's going on with Bryce Harper. And it's it's interesting. I know that you get to mid-February, late February, and we're going to start actually seeing live baseball this weekend, which is great. It's going to be a welcome sight. But we kind of have to sink into these storylines. And if there is any little bit of drama, any little bit of uncertainty, we tend to magnify those storylines, especially this time of year, because we're not watching things of importance transpire on the field. So we get this Bryce Harper situation, and we know – we saw this kind of last year. We we sort of picked up on this last year. And if you've listened to the show in the past, you know that we we kind of highlighted this. I remember after a game, probably May or June of last year, he sort of said, you know, I want to play into my 40s. I want to be a Philly for life. Hopefully we can do something about that. And it was subtle, but it wasn't subtle. And then you fast forward to this offseason and we find out that it's it's a little bit more than subtle. Bryce Harper wants more money. And the conversation all around the city this this week is like about morality of it. Like, should they pay him? Should they not? What should they do? I have a little bit of a different question, and I think it's the more important one. And we can talk about that if you want. But I think that the more important question here is, if they don't pay him, what's that going to do to this clubhouse? Like, what are the ramifications of not meeting his, I don't want to say demand, but his request. Is it important for the Phillies to pacify him as absurd as it may be to some? Or do you think everything can kind of just be good? He'll still be model citizen, franchise player, wearing fanatics, cleats, Mr. Philadelphia, if they don't get this done? That's a great question, Bob. And, And first of all, I think that this is all very, very calculated. Bryce Harper does not say things like this publicly without it being well thought out and well, um, you know, intentioned, like where he's he's very direct in his atten- intention. And I get the sense that this is something that is out there, not because he wants the money right now, but because he's saying, you're going to have to give it to me at some point. We still got time. We still got, you know, seven, eight years left before this contract is up. But I'm going to deserve that money. I'm going to deserve that extension sometime before we get to that point. And I think he's just starting to lay that seed. And I think he's laying the seed because they really do believe that they have a championship caliber team in that in that clubhouse. And so the the rationale that I put on it, the spin that I put on it is, He's starting to lay the groundwork now because if, in fact, they do win, he holds all the leverage because it's like, look, man, I took that deal with no opt-outs. I committed to you. I committed to you over 13 years so that you can bring the annual uh, average value of my contract down to something that's palatable enough for you to go out and get other great players and spend a big money on other great players. And I've been nothing but an MVP caliber player for you. So I think I deserve some kind of reward for that. 
And I think that that's what he's laying the groundwork for. Now, they may still give it to him even if they don't win a championship, right? If he continues to play at an MVP level uh, for them and be and be you know the the red light player that he is, you know, in in big moments, um, he still might get that money anyway. But I think that what he's doing is he's basically letting you know we're going to come to a point where this conversation is going to have to happen. And you're more than likely going to have to give me the money. Otherwise, you're going to look bad. So I think that's that's his M.O. I don't think it's like pay me now. I think it's just get ready because you're going to have to pay me. So do you think that part of the timing of the request is, is sort of centered around that he is at the height of his powers? He's at the height of his popularity. He's at the arguably the height of his career, you know, in terms of production. You think that this is a little bit harder to ask for or initiate three years from now if, if he brings it up and maybe he's I don't want to say that he's certainly I don't expect him to fall off a cliff here in terms of production. But like if he's hitting 24 home runs a year and hitting 271 for them and he doesn't have quite the same impact in 2027 and now he's making that request. You kind of feel like that there's a element of strike while the iron's hot here for him, and mm-hmm. he's got to at least initiate at this point, even if the demand isn't, "Hey, pay me by opening day." No, absolutely, and and I think that you're spot on with that. And you know, he is in the midst of his prime. He's thirty, what, thirty-one years old, right? So his prime probably goes another two seasons, and then it starts the then it starts the slow decline down the the other side. Um, so yeah, of course. I mean, that's you know, look what I'm doing. Yeah. Look at what I've done. I've I basically willed willed this team to a world cha- world series appearance in 22. I came back from Tommy John surgery last year faster than anyone who had ever had the surgeries ever come back and I was such a key player to get us back to within one game of the world series again. You know, you might not give me the money today, but I'm going to be that guy this year and we're we are so laser focused on finishing the job that if we do, my God, you got to give it to me. That's uh, really what I it mean, is. winning a championship, I think, changes the entire dynamic here. You know, I, I don't even – I haven't really given a lot of thought to should they or should they not because I think they're going to. You know, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know when it happens, but I think that they're going to give him more at some point. And I, I guess the one other consideration I had when I sort of think through this entire thing – because there are some people out there that look at it and say, this is absurd. You know, that this guy who got 300 million plus over 13 years, he had the ability to negotiate opt-outs. He could have dictated the, the terms in the back end of this contract. So there are a lot of people that are, you know, we see this across a lot of sports. You signed a deal, that's the deal. Oh, well. I, I have to say, The one thing I do wonder about this entire deal is that since he's arrived here, not only has he produced, but he's done everything right. He's been everything that a Philadelphia sports fan could possibly want him to be in terms and and everything that the franchise could want him to be. He is that guy. He's 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 got the appeal. He has that marketing juice behind him. He knows what to say. He knows how to say it. He's been in a lot of ways almost perfect here for five years and he's arguably one of the most loved athletes that that i can recall in the past 25 years here in this city is he running the risk 
of potentially creating some ill will and maybe creating some backlash here? Like, is he applying any, I, I almost feel like he's impervious to pref- pressure. Like when you do this, like there should be some naturally you would say like, well, he better perform now. If you're going to ask for this, you better go out and have a hell of a year. I don't even think that phases him. I, I really don't think that the pressure or the ask or the perception stuff is going to impact his play, but could he ultimately change the perception of how fans feel about him in a negative direction? I mean, I think that there, there's always going to be some element of the fan base that will, will be that way. Just It just is, right? I mean, there's there's a negative element of Philadelphia fans that, that rears its ugly, ugly head every so often for every player, um, no matter how good or great of a player they are. Um, so, yeah, you know, I do think it, potentially stirs them a little bit to be a little bit more vocal than maybe they would have been. Um, But I don't think it gets to a point. I don't think the Phillies ever let it get to a point where it's starts to get ugly. You know, I I think that that's the, that's where I land on this. Like they know how important he is in so many different ways that if he cranks up the volume and the discontent to a certain degree they're they know like, Hey, we, that's where he has the leverage. Yeah. He he knows that he has the ability to create a significant amount of influence here one way or the other. And, and to this point, it's been overwhelmingly positive. But I think that they want to make sure that this relationship stays intact, that they want to make sure that he remains happy. And that's why I just sort of default to, OK, maybe it's not in 24, but they're going to do this. Yeah, there absolutely are. And And listen, when I say everything is calculated, everything he says about the city of Philadelphia and how much he loves it here and how great the fans are and talking about Chuck from Mount Airy and kissing the Phillies logo on his Jersey and blowing out the 31 candles at home plate. Every one of these things is calculated and it all adds up to exactly this. I want one more contract before I retire and you're going to give it to me because of how much I mean to this city. I mean, there's no question. We've talked about this, Bob. He's very close to being on the Phillies Mount Rushmore of all-time players. May already be. You know, it's, it's close, right? Um, and if they win, a, if he wins a championship, he's certainly going to make it. And there's a chance that he, by the end of his career, is right up there, either right alongside Mike Schmidt or even potentially surpassing him, depending on how much he succeeds here. Um, so that that is should not be lost on everybody that he recognizes that as well. And that is like you said, that's his leverage. That's what, that's what he's going to lean on when the time, when the rubber meets the road and it hasn't met it yet. Everything's still kind of happy, you know, and hunky dory with all sides, but it will at some point. And that's, that's where it's going to be most interesting to, to see how this plays out. Yeah. And I, I kind of led into this conversation by sometimes we sort of sink our teeth into these, storylines or things that aren't necessarily playing out on the field right now. But I I am guilty a lot of times of brushing aside these, these media, you know, WIP foundational stories, like with what you see with the Eagles right now. And like, is it AJ Brown's Twitter account or, you know, like what happened with the Eagle? Like, I'm like, okay, like, all right, like, let's, can we just, just turn the page? Right. And so sometimes I'll look at a story like the Harper situation and say like, all right, I think that this has been talked about every which way. But this does matter. Like, this is not a non-story. This is not inconsequential. Like, they, they have got to ensure that no matter what they decide to do in terms of the contract, that they, 
they sort of keep the peace with him and ensure that he really continues to be that positive force, you know, good citizen, recruiter, make Philadelphia a baseball destination. Like there's a lot at stake with keeping him happy. And that's why I do think that the story is so important, even though we didn't really get to it the other day. So you get through that. And we, we sort of alluded to this earlier in the week. There's not a lot of storylines coming into this, into this season. There's not a lot of camp battles barring injury. The way it lays out right now, we sort of think we know we have a, a, a pretty good sense of what the opening day roster is going to be. We think we know what the lineup is mostly going to look like. We think we know what the bullpen looks like, the rotation. So there's not a lot of player A, player B. What do you want to see here? Who do you think is going to win it? What are they going to do? So let me just ask you a real general question. Mm. They start playing games tomorrow, and we're going to be excited to see. You turn on the TV, you, you, you just seeing baseball again is going to be it's, – it's exciting for Phillies fans. Does this – spring does this february and march does it matter at all like is there anything that you specifically want to see out of this and you can't say no injuries because that's a cop-out like that's the obvious thing for this team no injuries but like is there something else that you're really dialed into here is this as this spring progresses no that's exactly it you got to get to the season whatever it takes to get to the start of the, this this next six weeks by or actually not even six weeks five weeks at this point is going to be interminable like, and I'm going down there for, for 10 days, right? And it's going to be interminable for us to get to opening day on March yeah. 28th. Like, it's just I, I cannot remember a spring where I've ever just said, just press fast forward. Who gives yeah. a shit? Yeah. <laughs> really? Like, and I host, we're like, we're hosting a Phillies podcast here. Like, I, I want to sell the people on the importance of the next five weeks and why you should listen to us talk about this team for the next five weeks. But my God, I mean, as everything currently sits now, and I know things can happen fast, right? Like we went through this last spring at the end with Reese Hoskins. It changed everything. And and hopefully that does not happen to this team. But I, I am I am going to struggle, I think, come the first or second week of March to not just say, let's just look at the regular season. Let's preview the regular season. Let's find alternative ways to talk about the regular season because I do not care that, you know, Alec Bohm is hitting 348 this spring versus 152. Like, I just, it does not matter. It no. just does not matter. No. The only thing I guess, I guess there's a couple of small little things that you're going to, that you're going to look for, right? When I go down, what am I going to look for when I go down there? I, I, I do want to see how Johan Rojas is at the plate, right? I do. I want to, I want to, do you think, more you know, listen, I'm, I'm a big believer in if, if you're going to go out and play, being productive is better than not being productive. And certainly as the spring you know, wears on, we all know the storyline the first week or two. Hey, guys might just be working on a certain pitch, might be working on hitting the ball the other way. There's like some specific element of their game that they're kind of looking to fine tune. And so I don't think you look at results at all. No. At some point, though, these guys go out there and play to be productive and they want to get things rolling and create that momentum going into the regular season. What, what can so? OK, great. You want to see Johan Rojas. I get that. That makes sense. I think a lot of fans probably will feel that way as well. What is it that you want to see from Johan Rojas? What can he do in the next five weeks that makes you feel better uh, about what he might be this season. Yeah, I just want to see him at his approach at the plate, right? I don't, I don't want him to look lo like Bob. He looked lost at, in the playoffs, completely lost. And like I said, he doesn't need to get a bunch of hits. 
He just needs to have a good approach at the plate. That's all I want to see. If you if you show me that, and then I sit there and go, okay, this dude can hit two thirty, mm-hmm. and that'll be great with his, uh, you know, superior defense in center field and bat ninth. I'm totally fine with it. Like he doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to impress me. He just has to show me an approach that is like, okay, that's major league level. Great, right. you know. So something like that. Um, there, there was a really good story. I give Matt Gelb a lot of credit. He wrote a nice story on the in the Athletic about JT Real Muto and. And the struggles that he went through last year on pitches on the on the inside, and it was really kind of interesting. Like we talked a lot about his home road splits, which were the most ridiculous home road splits I've ever seen of any player in the history of the sport. Um, <laughs> but like like that was as far as we the deep you know the deepest we dove on it. He went a whole different level, which was great about looking at you know uh, those pitches in on his hands and how lost he was on on inside pitches. He couldn't find them. He just couldn't mm-hmm. see them. And so, like, therefore, like, our, our team's throwing him inside again. Like, I, like I'm going to go down there in the couple games. He'll probably, he'll probably play, like, you know, all of two to three games while I'm there, right? But, you know, what, what I want to see is, is I want to see, you know, our team still throwing him inside and how is he handling those pitches? Is he still swinging through them? Is he laying off of them? Is he getting, you know, that the, his hands through earlier and, and actually making contact? Like, little things like that as a baseball nerd. Right. Those are right. things that I'm going to be looking for. But but you're right. From a big picture perspective, just get to the season. Like, yeah. just get there. Yeah, there's a battle for the last spot on the bench. Yeah, there's a battle for the last bullpen spot, probably beyond that stuff and beyond the little things that like the eye, that we're eyeballing. Just get me to March 28th. And if I were to play the game here, if, if you were like, oh, come on, guys, like it's it's spring training. Like I, these games are going to be on well, a lot of them will be on television. Like what what can we really dial in on here? Yeah. OK. You know, I agree with you. The the, the two players that you just mentioned, I, I could find other angles. Like sure. if, if I were providing you with a if I were to go on Crossing Broad and say, like, all right, here are 10 things to watch for this spring. Like I would get to a point in a list where I say, like, can Trey Turner show me consistently when he plays this spring that he can field the baseball, you know, because I thought his defense last year yeah. was, and I know he made some spectacular plays in the series against the Braves, uh, but he was dreadful defensively and, and he admitted as much. He, um, he, he's one of those weird dudes, man, where it's, he's really good at the hard play, yeah, but struggles yeah, with, you the simple, really struggle with, with the, the simple play. play <laughs> yeah. yeah. So am I like looking to just see, can he get through a spring where he looks pretty clean or are we going to start seeing those, those routine mistakes again? Um, I'd like to see him clean that up. I'd like to get a sense that, you know, Hey, this looks a little bit better. He looks a little bit more consistent, a little bit more comfortable. Um, I do think that there is something to, you know, as much as we talk about Bryson Stott hitting with two strikes. And I think that, you know, uh, I want to say it was maybe Alex coffee who did a story on this. They, they want to try to get him uh, a little bit more aggressive early in counts, be a little bit more successful putting the ball in play early in counts. So that's something to obviously keep an eye on as well. Uh, Sir Anthony Dominguez, we talked about him in uh, the first show this week. Can he consistently throw his fastball for strikes or is he going to dance around the zone and try to be too fine and then fall behind and get hurt? Like those are things that I think are real. You want to make sure the velocity's up. Guys look good. But, you know, I I think when you step back and say, like, this is a very veteran team. It's a very established team. It's a very big game team. I just don't know how much I can truly learn about them in March. Yeah, no, I, you're a thousand percent right. I'll give you one more that's kind of thrown into that whole thing is that, you know, I don't know if you saw where they were talking about um, Kyle Schwarber taking, getting to too many two strike counts, mm-hmm. right? I mean, even as much as he walks and as many home runs as he hits as he's looking for the perfect pitch, they feel like, hey, we'd, we'll, we'd rather you have a, sl- a sl- somewhat higher batting average 
take a few less walks, maybe hit a few fewer home runs, and just go opposite field a little bit and get that batting average up and get on base a little bit more with with the with a hit as opposed to with you know looking for the walk because the two strikes when you get two strikes on you is when you struggle when you swing before there's two strikes you actually hit like three whatever it was some ridiculous number i was like wow how about that i never never looked at it like that either um so that's yeah again there's another little thing that you look for and i know that he's sort of i love him i i do i i just think and and i've said this in the past i just think what he brings from an intangible standpoint is uh, tremendously important i think that he is just really gives that lineup it, it's some some true juice. I, mm-hmm. I feel that way, and I I just think he's I, I just love the guy. I really do. Like from a from an observing standpoint, not like I have a, some tight relationship with him or anything. I I do know though that there there has to be a little bit more. Like there were times last year where we would talk about him, and I would always do the qualifier of like I love Kyle Schwarber. I understand what he is. I understand what he isn't. All that being said, there were times where it was like. This guy, like, this is embarrassing. Like, mm-hmm. you can't hit 172. I'm not saying he's got to go be the the Cub Schwarber where he hits two six, or I think it was when he was with uh maybe even the the Nationals. Like, he had a run where the average was like in the mid twos, even ticking up into like the higher twos. I'm not saying the guy's got to hit 270, but you can't hit 179 for the bulk of the regular season and then make your run at 200 late. Like mm-hmm. that. They, they do have to figure that out. And I don't really want it to be at the expense of home runs, and I don't really want it to be at the expense of walks. But there is a fine line where it's like, hey, man, if we can get this guy to hit 240 and maybe he walks seven to ten less times, like if, if, if that's like it's, – it's not a, an even trade-off, but it's about the approach and just the way that you go through each at bat. And if there is an incremental gain to be made on the average where it's not killing his on base – Man, like that, that would be nice to see. Like, if he could, they, if they could get a little bit more consistency out of him, it would be a tremendous help. Yeah. And I think that their, their thinking on it is, is this, Bob, if you're, if you're raising your batting average, even if you're taking fewer walks, it's not going to impact your on base percentage all that, all that much. You're still going to get on base, but the, the chance of you now getting a hit, which could potentially drive in a run, right? as opposed to the walk, which maybe doesn't. I mean, yeah, the first at bat of the, of the game is a little yeah. bit different than when you're, but every other time that you come up, there's a chance someone's on base. Um, you know, maybe you get a single and the guy scores, or you hit a double into the gap, right? And so your home run total may drop from like 46, 48 down to 40 or 38 or whatever, but you're hitting 240, you're being more of a run producer, you're still getting on base. Like those things all, I think, equate, right? So it's it's one thing, yeah, and I'm a big fan of a, of a guy with a great eye. I love it. I think it's, I think it's a, an art form in baseball. But at the same time, you cannot hit along the Mendoza line. You have to, you have to be able to hit a little bit better than that to be a, to be a complete player in, in this sport. Let me ask you this, because we're talking about making these incremental gains and, and sort of highlighting certain players. Can they get more out of JT Romuto? Can they get the Johan Rojas or some version of Johan Rojas that we saw at the end of the regular season last year? Can Schwarber get a little bit better? On July 1st of last season, the Phillies were, and this is just almost impossible to believe, they were 19th in Major League Baseball and run scored per game, averaging 4.37 runs per game. Um just just terrible. I mean, their offense was was horrendous, and they lacked a lot of thump. I mean, there was – I believe at that point in the season, 
there was not one player, or maybe it was just Schwarber who was on pace to hit like 25 yeah. home runs. It was just 20. It was yeah, just 20. 20 home. Yeah. It was just 20. Because he got off to a slow start. And it was like, yeah. my God, like they are just, they have nothing. Like they're anemic in terms of the, 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 the power through the lineup. And going into the season, you would have never thought that. But then you fast forward and you go through July, August, September, and they end up eighth in baseball and run scored per game. So that they jump 11 spots and they go from 4.37 runs per game to 4.9 runs per game when it's all said and done. So they're averaging over five runs per game for the better part of three months down the stretch. They're basically playing at a hundred win clip for those final three months. Is this a top five offense in terms of runs per game this season? Like, is it reasonable to kind of go big picture and just say, this is what the Phillies lineup really is. They're absolutely going to be a top five offense. They are the team that we saw the last three months of the season, not what we saw the first three months. They should be. They should be a top five offense. I mean, they're not They're not going to be the Braves, right? I mean, we know that. But they should be. Probably not the Rangers who, <laughs> yeah, who yeah. averaged, you know, well over five runs per game last yeah. year. Right. I mean, but, you know, and, and of course, you know, the Dodgers have every superstar in baseball right yeah. now. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you're, you're, but you're, you should be right in that next group. Mm-hmm. I mean, you should be in that, I would say, you know, in that four to four to eight range is where they should be. And they were in it ultimately is where they finished eighth last year. Might right. be slightly below where they belong. But I think that that's, that's right. You know, that's right where they should fit. And, and, and yeah, they need to be better. The, the one thing, and I've said it, repeatedly and this is why i was a fan of the of the merrifield signing is i think that they need a little bit more i I don't want to say on base as far as you know just get on base but i think they need a little bit more of someone who goes up there with a good approach puts makes makes contact and finds their way on base hitting the ball Uh, you know they just don't they just lack that kind of player stott is like their best guy in that return right and every other guy in the line maybe marsh here and there but but every other guy is is trying to you know put the ball out of the ballpark and i just wish that we had more of the you know hit the ball where it's pitched get yourself on base and then wreak havoc from there so that's why i was a fan of the merrifield signing it's the one thing i think that this team doesn't have enough of and so you have that tendency to go through those stretches where you're just your offense is awesome and you're putting up big runs and hitting a lot of home runs. And then at the same time, you have stretches where the, the offense just disappears and you're like, what the hell, man, this offense should be better. And so I, I think that's what, that's where the Phillies are. You know, they, they, they don't, they need to find a way to thread that needle so that they have fewer extremes. It, I, it's a nitpicky thing, Bob, but I, I think it's the one thing that we, you know, when we look at this offense and, and critique it, that that's the one thing that's that's missing, or, or I should say missing, but lacking from this team. All right, let me tell you one thing I want to see this spring and, and one thing I, I don't want to see. And I'll start with the one thing I don't want to see. What's that? I, I don't want to see the groins of any Major League Baseball <laughs> players. Too late. <laughs> Too late. You already have. And, uh, yeah, if you took a, a little spin around X or Twitter yesterday, uh, you, you did see it. Um, what a debacle. Like, listen – People, from a retail standpoint, sometimes have some fanatics takes and, okay, like sometimes you get something and the lettering's a little off or maybe there's a thread sticking out of your hat or, okay, no problem. You call customer service, take a picture, you figure it out. I just can't believe that 
this is what they delivered to major league baseball teams. Like uh-huh. talk about a first impression. Like, I mean, it's so bad that you have the players union involved. You actually have the commissioner's office involved looking at this. Like it started out kind of almost like, what did they do to the nameplates on the back of the jerseys? Like that just looks bad. That's, that's unfortunate. It's just cheap. It's cutting a corner. And then as the thing plays out, you go like, Oh my God. Like now you're looking at the pants and you know, talked about it before, like a coach, you played softball, like yeah. you put some some cheaper pairs of pants on, especially if you have a darker jersey and you can sometimes see underneath, like you could see if you're wearing like boxers, you can see if you have a darker shirt on underneath, you can see it through the pants. Yeah. It's major league baseball, white on white. And, and you're seeing the, you're seeing the threads and you're seeing, you know, you're seeing, you're seeing everything. everything. You're seeing, you're seeing everything. everything. <laughs> I am I naive? I mean, I know like they're talking about the third jerseys not necessarily being in production. There's could be delays on certain things. I get that. I, there's just this part of me though that's like, okay, the season starts in 36 days. Like they're gonna fix this, right? Like there's no way they're gonna go. Like, am I crazy? Like, are they going to go through an entire season with this and this look? They can't. It can't be right. It can't be. It really can't be. Now, I I don't know. I I I'm I'm fascinated that fanatics and Nike have have been this pathetic, and that they've permeated basically every sport. I mean, they they're in with every. They're in with the NFL. They're in with the NHL. They're in with the NBA. Like they're everywhere, and you don't think that this, this isn't just a major league baseball problem. Like everybody is watching this and everybody is seeing it. And they're like, what are we, what are we like, I understand like you're, you're about efficiency. You're about obviously maximizing profit. Business is business. Like, I understand business. Yeah. But at some point, whatever corners you cut to do those jerseys is, are those gains marginal gains being offset by the PR disaster yeah, and the embarrassment that you've created here. I mean, it really, it's, it's astounding. Like if I, as a youth coach or a high school coach opened up those uniforms and I saw that my players looked like that, I'd be pissed. Yeah. I'd send and them I all mean, back. That's on a, on yeah. a youth level. That's on a high school level. I mean, think yeah. about this, man. Yeah. It is crazy. It's it's really bad. And if it's a flashback, Bob, because I remember when we were kids, when when not we, when I was a kid, and that's what our pants were like for youth ball. And you could see right through. Like yeah. it was it was silly, right? And I can still remember my mother like complaining, <laughs> like, why would they give you white pants? Like give you a different <laughs> color. You can see right through I would see everything. And that was you know in nineteen eighty two. Right, like it, it really on. is. It, it, it's <laughs> this is my favorite story of spring training because it's it just keeps getting worse. You see pictures coming in from all the camps. You see the writers talking about. I mean, it's just it's it's amazing. It really is amazing. And, and I think base. And I'll give you. I think the players are doing it right. Where they're nobody has said anything positive about it, other than the athletes who are Nike athletes, right? Yeah. Who have contracts with Nike. They're the only ones who said anything positive about it. Um, but I think that the players will will do good to just keep shining a light on it because it makes baseball look bad, and it makes and we talked about Rob Manfred at the end of the last show, right? How how ridiculous does he look saying, "Oh, don't worry about it. They'll like the players are going to like these jerseys." 
You'll see. Oh, yeah, they're they're great. used to it. They're, they're great. Like, come on, dude. Yeah. Just stop gaslighting. Just sit there and say, you know what? We think that they'll be great. We think that they'll be fine. Maybe our first run here has not gone the way we thought it should have gone. And we're gonna we're gonna rectify it and we're gonna fix it. And guess what? The story goes away. Right? Yeah. Right. The story goes away. But to sit there and basically say they're good, they're great. Yeah, they're, they're good. Well, it looks like they're wearing replica jerseys. Like, it's, it's embarrassing. Yeah. It's embarrassing to the sport. And, and that's what I say that I really don't understand. I mean, they got to be paying somebody to be like the vice executive vice president of marketing for Major League Baseball, right? And and that guy's probably making some great six figure salary and up in the New York office. And whoever that person, I say guy, could be a woman as well. Which whoever that person is, right? That person needs to relook at their job because they have to be. They have to sit there and say to the commissioner, "You cannot say these things. Yeah. You have to identify that this is a problem." with the public right now and we need to address it from that perspective right we need to respond appropriately and to be so elitist about it is is asinine it's negative it's negative for the for the sport it's bad really yeah. bad I know everyone listening to this. Nobody's sitting here saying oh, I disagree with this. And I, you might be saying, like, "Who cares? This is this is an affiliate. This is a Phillies podcast. Who cares?" I just look, it affects the uh, Phillies uniforms say, too. Uh, they're they're bad, man. They they're look bad. bad. And when you get up and when you get up close to those things, uh, in years past, you you look at them and you're like, they're beautiful. Like yes. everything, it, it just looks so nice. It looks so good. And and now you, you see these picture day photos. And you're like, oh God. Like, I mean, I'll be honest with you, because every, every, I, I had a couple people say to me, what the hell is the, because I talked about the chain stitching on the uh, on the logo is not there anymore. It's gone. And people are like, oh, what does it really matter? And then you kind of explain it and show it like yeah. the, the like the fine detail that maybe you don't see it from afar. But when yeah. you get up close and you see, it, you're like, oh, wow, that does. Yeah, that's what really makes a jersey good. special. Those little nuances and that little extra yeah. uh, attention to detail. It, it, right. Yeah. That's what makes it makes them what they are. And so to just kind of take it away and make it like basically a freaking decal is what it is. It looks we're a so step scary. away from screen printing here. Yes, they're gonna look like the guys out on like you're talking about softball, right? You're gonna look yeah. like the guys out in Marcus Hook, right? On the <laughs> softball field for me. That's what it's gonna uh, look like soon. It's terrible. Not great, not great. All right, uh, I'll come back to the Phillies here real quick before we get out. Um, I, I kind of floated this uh, a question to you uh, before the show, just um in terms of of maybe looking ahead at the season a little bit, like we can kind of, I think every show sort of find a way to preview or discuss the regular season. Yeah. Uh, so I guess the question I have for you is um, potential surprises, maybe one positive, one negative. What do you sort of look at this year and say, I think that this player or this thing might happen and it's going to be a pleasant surprise. We'll start there. Are we talking about just the Phillies or are we talking about in baseball in general? I would say, I mean, I'll, I'll open it up if you if you don't have anything Philly specific, but I would say if you have something that might oh, be you, so you want go. you want it to be Phillies. And, and yeah. that's good. And that, and that's good. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm good with that. Um, so a, a pleasant surprise for the Phillies. Um, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to tell you that th- their bullpen actually is going to come together and be really, really good. Uh, I, I like I I've thought about it. I've really looked at it and I sit there and say, I think that this group has the ability to be sensational. And what I mean, if you remember, Bob, there was a stretch at one point in the season last year. I think it was like in May and June, right, when they where the bullpen was just 
just it was fantastic. It was the starters who were struggling, right? And the bullpen was actually keeping them afloat. Um, I, I think that there is an ability for that group to come together and and be special in this sport. And there's a reason that everybody kind of talks about them being a great group. And you know, even though we look at the numbers, say, well, the numbers that great. I mean, yeah, Alvarado had really good numbers, but aside from that. The rest of them, if you really look at their stats, I mean, Jeff Hoffman had a good season, but they're collectively, they were just kind of meh. But there's, why does everybody really like the group? And I think that I think that the, this is a situation where the numbers maybe lie to us a little bit. Okay. That there is a there is a lot of really good balance, really good depth, really uh, nasty pitches in that bullpen, and I think it's the right attitude. I think that they all have the right attitude, uh, except for Dominguez, who I. But I think he can get it back. I, that like, if I'm going to look for one specific person that I think could be a surprise, I think it could be him. I think he's going to actually get an opportunity to close some games for this team this year. I know that seems weird, but I think that's going to be the guy who it's going to be. And they got because I think that's how you get him back to being what he was a couple seasons ago. I, I just really, I'm I'm bullish on this bullpen this year. I think it's going to be a really strong suit for the team. Yeah, uh, actually, uh, I'm right there with you, and I kind of have circled a specific player, uh, and I know he came up the other day. I think that they're going to get more out of Gregory Soto in yeah. in 24, and I'm just going to throw some numbers out there that that sort of supports it. It's not just he has a really good arm. I'm surprised he didn't get the results that, that we sort of expected to get. It, it does go a little deeper. Look at his... His 2022 season with Detroit, he has a 3280 ERA all-star season. That's kind of what you thought you were getting when you acquired him. And then he pitches to a 462 ERA in 23. He's wildly inconsistent. He had moments, but he also had plenty of bad moments as well. Just a couple numbers here. Batting average against in 22, 225. Last year, 210. It was actually better. On base percentage in 2022, 344. Last year it was 284. OPS 660 to 619 year over year. Mm -hmm. Better in 23 with the Phillies. His K rate actually jumped from 22.8 to 26%. His walk rate went down 12. Uh, so, I mean, like he went from 12.9% walk rate to 8.8. .8. Like all of these numbers suggest that he should have been the guy that he was in Detroit. And yet he wasn't. Now, some of that is luck. There are some numbers that suggest he was he was the victim of poor luck, but really the one thing that you look at is that he struggled to keep the baseball in mm -hmm. the park last year, and he went from 0.8 home run rate in 22 to 2.4 in 23. That's triple. So if he can find a way to just keep the ball in play a little bit more, I think he makes a big time jump because I don't think he was actually as bad a season ago as the ERA, uh, the ERA would suggest. Yeah, and that's that's really good pull by you because you you know there's a there's a real belief in him in that in that team. They they said it last year. I can't tell you how many times they talked about how much they liked him, even as he was struggling during the season, giving up those gopher balls. Right, that there was a repeated. It, you know, tr they trust they do trust him in certain spots, um, and I think that that's the thing. I think that I think you're going to look at them to go to build off of that, like you said. Just don't give up the home run ball. 
and it's and, not like he, it was it wasn't like he was getting absolutely lit up i mean he, he was basically giving up a, a home run every nine innings it, it's not like it was it was a disaster but it did feel like that there was there was quite a bit of damage being done uh and often at inopportune times but again like you just go through the numbers like the whip was down year over year you even look at like fielding independent pitching which i, I you know, I think that that's a metric that I, I often kind of roll my eyes at, but it was identical in 22 and 23. Like, there is yeah. a lot there. When you take all of the numbers, like yeah. sometimes what we do is we look at one thing and say, oh, see, you know, this this sort of supports my case. But when you look at everything in the complete picture, I, I think that there's a lot more meat on the bone with him. Let me throw something at you, Bob. And I don't know, maybe I'm grasping at straws a little bit here, but maybe maybe I'm not. So with a guy like Soto, obviously, who throws as hard as he does, um, how much has the new, the ability for these hitters to go back into the, uh, you know, into the cage underground, underground, underneath the stadium in game, okay, and face off against that, you know, AI, basically, it's an AI version of of the pitcher that they're about to go face. Right. Right. And so now all of a sudden you got, you know, Oh, Gregory Soto is going to come in. Let's go back air and, and swing against, you know, a couple swings against Gregory. Soto. see what that fastball looks like. Right. How much is that impacting pitchers who throw a certain way, who aren't, you know, up there surgically picking you apart with stuff, right. right? Who are just throwing gas and then you're able to identify it you know, a, a little bit more and you're not coming in. It's it's not as much of a surprise or a change of pace from the previous pitcher that was in the game, right? Because you now, you're now prepared for it. How much of that is really impacting these pitchers when it comes to giving up home runs? Because so I, I think, you know, the home run rate was obviously up across the league last year. Yeah, I, I think that there might be something to that. It's sort of, you know, especially when you're a guy like Soto who's gives you a little bit of an uncomfortable look. I think that the more familiarity, the more acclimation that you can get against looks like that. I, I think it probably... You know, I don't want to say levels the playing field, but I think it probably does give an advantage to the hitter. Uh, you know, I just I am amazed though. Like the more and more, even as we're talking through this, like uh, I'm, I just pulled up Statcast and I go, okay, like what about his velocity? Was it down? No, it's 98.3 miles per hour average fastball last year. It was 98.4 the year prior. You look at expected ERA at Statcast. His expected ERA with the Tigers in 22 was 4.08. It was 2.84 last year. I mean, hard hit percentage dropped from 43% to 34%. Like everything about this just screams bounce back year. So I don't even want to say it would be a pleasant surprise. I mean, I think that they went out to get this guy to be a late inning option, a viable, a, a viable guy that you could depend on late in games for big outs. So I don't want to say it's a surprise, but I think you're going to get that bounce back from him. Yeah. I think, I think it was one of those things with Soto last year, Bob, it's, it's like a, um, it's like a, a like a line an offensive lineman in in football where if you're not talking about him he's doing his job and so right. the so the so the games when he would come in and have a good appearance we're not sitting there going hey great job Gregory Soto right we're, we're only identifying when Gregory yeah. Soto That's has what a, you were supposed to do yeah, yeah like we're only <laughs> identifying Gregory Soto when he has a bad game right or right. gives up that home run like oh there goes Soto again but in fact there were other appearances that were pretty solid that were that were mixed in and we yeah. just didn't yeah, thing about you saw flashes and sometimes even extended flashes of, of what he can be. Yeah. Uh, anything that you're looking at, uh, this is a time of year where everybody's optimistic. Everybody kind of expects this team to be really good. Uh, and I think it will be anything you're looking at though, where you're like, mm, could be a problem. What happens, Bob, if Alec Bohm doesn't take that next step yet again, 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do you I do? Mean, what do you do? I mean, are you okay with him just sort of rolling over his production from year to year? Like, would you just take that player? I still think that there needs to be a little bit more. I, I, I'm not opposed to having. I mean, I'll answer your question. If that's what happens, you're you're calling somebody in July. Yeah, I mean, know, right. I mean, and I personally, we're on record here. Uh, I would have advocated for that a year ago. Yeah, uh, but I mean, I know, I, I, just, I know there are a lot of Alec Boom. Like he's it. He's you guys. Just you don't see the beauty of the game. I think he's fine. I, yeah. I, I do. I think he's a fine player. Um, I I just wish there was a little bit more there. I'm I'm disappointed. There's not a little bit more there. Yeah, I I, I think that the hate anyway. Know, I think it it especially bothered me later in the year when he was struggling. Right, going in, you know, yeah. in, a, in the playoffs and stuff. You know. Um, and it's not to me. It's not about where he's at in the lineup because he wouldn't have hit if he was further down in the lineup either. Like it wouldn't matter. There was, I mean, they were they ran into what they ran into, and they they all felt they all went cold at the same time. Um, but it's the, it's the reality of the fact that you know there should be more to his game that there's not, especially with his frame. Like he sh- he there's there's an approach at the plate that I like with him, but I also think that he becomes such a such a you know. Uh, he, he he wears the blinders because he doesn't change anything when he could and to make it even a little bit better. Is is there, he's 27. Is there a possibility that there's still some room for growth in his game? I think this is it. I mean, this is the last chance, right? I mean, if, if, if this season you don't grow that last little bit, you, this is who you are. And it's a, it's a fine major league player. I mean, it's not like you just said, he's, He's a good player, you know, but he, is he ever going to be more than a, you know, one and a half to two war per season player? Like that's yeah. to me, that's the that's the thing where you wanted to to take that next step. Like we're talking about guys who can give you a little bit more of that, you know, find a way on base with your bat kind of thing. He's a guy that I look at and say he should be able to do it. He should be a guy who goes up there, can hit the ball the other way, can you know, uh, you know, just you know, drive the ball a little bit more. You know, Maybe yeah, I, I'm with you. Run rate a little bit. I'm with you. In fairness to him, he did almost knock in a hundred runs last year. He often was one of their better hitters in key spots. Yeah. Um, you know, we talk about this team sometimes being inconsistent, being so reliant on the home run. He sort of was a little bit of a, a stabilizing presence in that all you needed was contacted points, and he could provide that for you. You just go through the month-to-month numbers, though. Like, he really got real hot in July, hit 337 in 25 games. And I think when you look at his overall numbers, man, like you see that he hit 274 last year with 20 homers. It was really on the strength of that July, you know, with a 916 OPS over 25 games. And you look at August, September, and then the bleed over into October, like he did hit 10 home runs the final two months of the season. I just, I, I, you said it, like this is probably the last year. And I'm not saying he needs to be 30, 35 home run guy, but no. like, damn, like they're just take one more step, become that 25 home run guy, become a 30, 40s doubles guy. Like, just hit 270 just show a little bit more yeah because the problem that you run into and like i know everybody like one of the big stories that everyone kind of latches onto is like oh well you know he's really become a a quality defender no he hasn't 
No, he's, he's become an he's acceptable become, defender. He's become playable, <laughs> you know, and, and credit to him because what where he was and where where he was at, both in terms of just making plays and where he was at mentally, I give him credit. Like, I do think that he deserves credit for overcoming that and becoming playable. But this idea that, like, he's a, a very serviceable, he has even become a, a you know, quasi dependable fielder like nah, i don't i don't know about that man like that's yeah. that to me is a big stretch and the yeah, numbers no. don't bear that out whatsoever they don't they don't um yeah like that like that's the one for me bob and uh and i'm just i, I you know i want to see i want to see him get better i because i think that there is another level that he can reach i i do but i'm also concerned that he doesn't get there yeah and that's you know, I, I, I do. I, I will say, like, I, I think my concern with him is more in that I could see there being room for regression. Like, well, that's that, the, that's the red flag, right? That's what would concern me. Like, if you yeah. give me, you know, 108 OPS plus 765 OPS on base percentage, about 330. Like, I, I can live with all that. Like, I can even live with the, the relative. He, he took a little bit of a step forward with the power 20 home runs. I can live with that, I guess. Mm -hmm. But I do think that there could be a step backwards here. I do. I, it's, I'm not counting on that, but I would not be surprised let's, either. Let's be honest, right? Not every player is going to have a better year than last year. Okay? Not every player is. Right. There's going to have to be a couple guys that... Yeah, not that. everyone altogether, 26 <laughs> people at a time, takes a right. step forward. Right. Yes. There have to be players that come, ba that come backwards a little bit. And I look at this this group and I say, who who has the greatest likelihood of being someone who can step back from what they did a season ago? And I think that Alec Bohm is at the top of that list. And that's not a negative about him. It's not saying that he stinks or anything like that. I think he's a good player. I just think that there is a thing where I've, I'm a little bit worried that we may we may have seen his peak. Well, I can't wait to have our first Nick Castellanos conversation of the season. We're not going to do that right now because I think we can just dedicate entire episodes to what, what he's well, got going on. But I think maybe we should wait until after I talk to him down in spring training yeah. again this year. Your guy. <laughs> the number one news source for Nick, uh, Nick Castellanos uh, infor, uh, information. Yeah. So, All right. Well, uh, why don't we hit one last thing and wrap this up? Yeah, one last thing. And, and uh, I'm going to keep it keep it local in a sense. You saw the Mike Trout story this week, right? We didn't. I think it came. I think it came out after yeah. we recorded uh, yeah. earlier this week, so it, it, I didn't miss it on the last episode. Wants to win it all with the Angels. He does, and he's got this loyalty thing. But he did have some interesting quotes, though, Bob. Basically, where he's talked about how there are players who want to come to the Angels. He's talked to them directly. Kind of served as his own little bit of a you know recruiting effort to try and get players to go there. And he basically put it in the owner Artie Moreno's hands and said, "It's you know it's up to Artie to get it done at this point." And he also talked about the potential for you know leaving when you know maybe down the road if if things don't go the way he wants them to go, then maybe he would reconsider leaving Anaheim and, and uh, Los Angeles it used to be Anaheim. They're still playing Anaheim. They don't call him that. Anyway, point being, he's, I found that I feel like a lot of people are giving him a hard time for what he said. And I feel like this is the first time we've actually heard Mike Trout express a, yeah, I want to be here, but, but. If, if you don't do it, then I'm going to look to get out. And, and I think this is the very first time he's ever kind of said that. And I want to sit here and say applause to Mike Trout because 
one, you don't get a lot of players who are loyal to a team, right, for a long time. And so you give him credit for that. But at the same time, realizing his situation, saying you to the organization, you've failed me to this point. I'm giving you one last chance, and then maybe we can go forward. I think what Mike Trout said, I'm going to take the opposite view than most people, and I think that he actually – I applaud him for the way he he said you know said what he said uh, for for with the Angels. I think it's inevitable that he leaves there. I, I do. I, I think that he is mindful of loyalty and trying to finish what he started. I just think that it has reached a point where he knows that his best days are coming to an end, and that it's like we talked about with Bryce Harper. There's like a sense of we need to capitalize on the moment. I think that he's at a crossroads in his career with all the injuries that he's dealt with. I think he knows that, hey, this isn't going to last forever. I got to I gotta win. I want to win. This is sort of like the last opportunity for you guys to show me that we can do it here. And I don't know what he's expecting because I don't, I don't see a whole hell of a lot out there. I, I don't. I don't expect the Angels to be. I think they're okay, but I just don't. Like, what's the timeline here? Is he giving yeah. them two more years? Is he giving them three months to prove they're a contender this year? I I don't know, man. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll throw one other thing kind of tying into this. How about Anthony Rendon saying that baseball is not a priority? <laughs> yeah, I, I know that uh, this has been a big story. And I would I, – first of all, I, I think that this is Anthony Rendon. Like, I think that there's enough body here to suggest that this guy doesn't really prioritize the game the way that some do. I, You know, if a guy tells me that my priority is my family – I say, of course it is. (laughs) And so you could see a world where maybe his comments get taken out of context. But given how miserable he's been to the media or with the media, and this isn't like a pro media thing, but like he's made it very clear that he's fucking annoyed by the entire thing and has been for a long time. And so he knows what he's saying and he knows the way that that those words are going to be construed. And I think that there was a certain level of intention behind those words. So I think it's absolutely justified to crush him for what he said the guy is an all-time loser like easy and he's he's also a millionaire 100 times over 200 times over but just in terms of like talk about clubhouse guys like vibes chemistry what the hell kind of chemistry is that i mean what is that yeah and it's 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 a shame too because when you look go back to when he was with washington before he would became the you know 200 times over millionaire um you you know he had he a little a bit great of great player. Yeah, he has he's got a little bit of that dog in him before like he can get there yeah. if he really wants to. And it's just like to me, it's a slap in the face. Like it's almost like, all right, you gave me all this money and I have no interest now anymore. Yeah. I did what I had to do. i I made my life and my family's, you know, lives forever. And that just you know, just pay me and I'll just kind of meander through. Like it's oh, kind yeah. of pathetic. It's kind of pathetic. Are we doing a thing here in July when, you know, we just talked about the Yamamoto contract and that the Phillies were all in on him. And, uh, you know, there's this idea that, well, you didn't spend it there, but you might spend it eventually. Like, are we going to be doing the, okay, that happened and Trout's not happy and they're not winning. Are we going to do the Mike Trout conversation again this summer? You know, I, we started this whole show talking about how intentional Bryce Harper is with everything he says. And let's not forget, there was one time where he talked about <laughs> trying yeah. to convince Mike Trout to come to Philadelphia. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I will never say never. I, I don't think it happens. I don't think it. I don't think it does. If you're asking me, Anthony, either. yeah, do you think it? But I will never say never with with Harper. 
So, all right, uh, it's possible. There's a <laughs> possible. Like ending a podcast with a little Mike Trout talk. So. <laughs> Get everybody all all worked fired up. up. Yeah, yeah. All worked up. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll be back uh, next week. We'll finally have some games to look at. I don't know if we'll even talk about them. Hopefully, we're not talking about these games. If we're if next week, if we're talking about the games over the weekend in any meaningful capacity, something bad has probably happened. <laughs> um, so, well, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe we'll see Mick Abel throw an inning or two, right? Yeah, maybe yeah. we'll get a little little look at him. I yeah, mean, that I, I would be good. things. Yeah. That would be good. Yeah. yeah. All right. Very good. All right. Well, if we're Anthony. San Filippo. I'm Bob Wankel. You follow Anthony on Twitter slash X at and Sam Philly. You can follow me at Bob underscore Wankel. Uh, make sure that you're checking out Crossed Up YouTube uh, anywhere that you get your podcasts, and we'll talk to you soon.